What's up, guys? You're tuning back into Beats, Rhymes, and Life. This is your girl, Amanda Wright. And for this week's podcast, we're going to be talking about the mysterious guy in the basement. Um, I'd say he's probably like the best kept secret around, honestly. It's either you know him or you don't, but he's a man of many names and a man of many talents. We're going to be talking about James Dewitt Yancey, better known as Jay Dilla or JD or Yancey, you know. Like I said, he has a lot of different nicknames, but Jay Dilla is probably one of the greatest producers of all time, in my opinion. I, I truly believe that because of just what he believed in. He always believed in being a genuine person. He wasn't a sellout. In my eyes, I didn't see Jay Dilla as a sellout. So that's why I got much love for the dude. But Jay Dilla was born February 7th in 1974 in Detroit, Michigan. He was from the Conant Gardens hood, and he was the oldest of three children. Jay Dilla was very musically influenced within his family. His mother, Ma Dukes, was actually an opera and classical music enthusiast. His father, Beverly Yancey, was a bassist and vocalist, and also a 25-year performance and recording veteran. Also, he has his grandfather, William James Yancey, who was a pianist in the silent film industry, as well as his uncle, Clemmer Yancey, who was a noted writer and arranger and singer on the local Detroit circuit. Like I said, very, very musically and throughout his entire life. And, you know, his mother just always tried to keep him off of the streets, so she kept him very busy with music. She kept him just eager to learn new instruments, like probably his first formal instrument training came from piano and cello and then he learned to read music um, right before taking up drums and the flute and the guitar. So very well-rounded child with music. He really grew up with jazz and he loved that. Like they, his mom even used to say that they would use that as a lullaby for him. So like the mother always tried, Ma Dukes always tried to keep uh, JD out of trouble. So she always just had his head either in music or in church. He was also an active member of his choir, his church choir at the Vernon Chapel in Michigan. And he was also very active with like Boy Scouts and Cub Scouts and he was very active with community service. But uh, JD went to Farewell Middle School and then after did transfer to Davis Aerospace Technical High School. Um, he didn't really like school, but he was really smart, you know, like his mom kept him very busy and he had a really good upbringing. So he was smart, but it was obvious that his passion was in music. He still found a way to find music in that high school, you know, like it turned out that he would go and DJ for parties at his high school. So it just, music never left his heart. So just alone from all of the influence that he had from his family, he also had, um, I would say like the next stepping stool in his career would be when he went to this guy's house who lived down the street from him and this guy went by the name of Joseph Amp Fiddler who was actually an accomplished keyboardist producer and composer and he was best known for his work with George Clinton and the P-Funk All-Stars so they, they would call him Amp Amp Fiddler Dilla started working with him he started to just help him engineer a lot of his, his sessions so Amp Fiddler was all for teaching others and you know enlightening people and Amp Fiddler was all about lending a hand out to the youngins out in this community and Amp's home studio which was also known as Camp Amp was kind of like the training grounds for many young musicians in the hood so JD was always at his studio he was always helping them out and always um, trying to collaborate and just learn something new from this guy like Amp really did teach him a lot he advanced Dilla in a lot of his skills with live instrumentation 
and he gave him the experience with drum machines and a lot of different digital programming that had been um, coming up at that time. You know, technology was evolving and so producing was going to this next level. So Jay Dilla learned a lot of the new producing skills from this guy, Amp Fiddler. Like, Ma, Ma Dukes was really, uh, like I said, she wanted JD to be in school. She wanted the best for him. So she didn't like the fact that JD was cut in class to go to be at this guy's house. But at the same time, Jay Dilla never told her what he was really doing, how much he was actually helping Amp and how much he was incorporating into his music and just how talented he really was. You know, she didn't really see that because she wasn't there to see that. Nonetheless, his family was always very supportive of him. And once they did find out how talented their son really was and how much he really just wanted to pursue music, they just showed him all types of love. You know, they went with it and they let him do what he wanted to do because that's what family's for. With that being said, um, Jay Dilla, he was a really quiet guy. He was a really, really quiet guy. He didn't really fuck with a lot of people, but the people that he did fuck with, he kept them in, in his lives. Like, he's the type of person that he has those group of friends and like, those are his friends for life. He was a very loyal person. So, um, he actually had these two friends, Frank Bush and Derek Harvey, Frank and Dank, better known as, and they were his best friends since elementary school. They went to church with him, they were in the Boy Scouts with him, all of that. So these guys were a big part of Jay Dilla's life. Not only them, but Yancey also befriended Ronnie Watts, who is better known as Fat Cat, during his hip-hop open mics at Weekly Rhythm Kitchen. Um, one of his other really good friends was Humberto Andres Hernandez, better known as DJ Dez, and he also met him at Camp Amp, and he was also a member of Ghost Town, the group that JD was in. And also one of JD's late friends, Deshaun Holton, which was also known as MC Big Proof. He grew close to JD post Go Town and then formed the Funky Cowboys with JD. But those were a lot of, I would say those are like his main, his main cast that he really rolled with, other than his Slum Village guys. So speaking of Slum Village, now that we're talking about that. So Yancey met R.L. Altman, better known as T3, and the late Titus Glover, better known as Batten in late 1980s in high school. So it was Altman and Glover, and then it was JD and Frank. And they would always challenge each other in high school in rapping, you know? And it was funny because like, what started out as a challenge actually turned out to them really appreciating one another's respective styles of rapping and music. So they decided, well, let's not, why not let's just like collaborate something together. So they ended up bringing all of their connects together in the midst of all of that. And with that being said, them also trying to stay out of trouble in the streets and with high school and growing up and whatnot, they did end up forming Slum Village. And so JD began cultivating the sounds of Slum Village in the recording studio with Amp before signing as artists with a management company run by former Detroit Pistons b-ball player R.J. Rice and John Sally in 1992. So before that, you know, Camp Amp was where J.D. was always at as things started to progress for him. As he started to make a name for himself, you know, obviously other people started to reach out to him and that's when he did get signed in 1992. So he was able to use their recording studio. And a lot of people did really see J.D.'s potential and creativity and they wanted to help him feed that, you know. Everybody was just very willing and giving to JD. But at the same time, I believe that the reason why they were like that is because of the type of person he was. You know, he was a really genuine and good guy. They didn't see it as a risk, I guess you could say. Thankfully for Amp, he, I feel, actually gave him that big break. He finally helped JD and he introduced him to um, Q-Tip from A Tribe Called Quest. He And Q-Tip loved, 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 loved Slum Village and just the sound that he was bringing to the table. So then began JD's career as a producer. 
he blossomed under Q-Tip's direction. You know, he was traveling, networking, and doing all his different credited and uncredited work for artists such as Janet Jackson, Buster Rhymes, De La Soul, and even The Far Side. He was doing that solely on his own as an individual producer, um, representing himself. So while he was doing all that with Q-Tip, you know, his Slum Village crew, Batten and T3, and all of his other friends back in Detroit, they, like, even though he was getting his shine on, they knew that Jay Dilla was going to be back, and they knew that when he was going to come back to Detroit, he was going to hit it hard. He was going to help them, you know what I mean? He, he never is going to forget about his friends. He, they knew that, so. Yancey then came back home to Detroit, back to the roots, and he came back with a vengeance to represent Detroit. So with that, he created Slum Village semi seminal debut, Fantastic Volume 1, which is a widely bootlegged album that sparked a stylistic movement in both underground and mainstream hip-hop communities. And prior to its initial release in 1996, Q-Tip and the Uma Productions, like I had mentioned before, it was the Uma Productions was with Q-Tip, Dilla, and Ali Shahid from A Tribe Called Quest. And that kind of overshadowed Yancey's individual accomplishments. It was Q-Tip's thing, so obviously it's going to have more of a shine on Q-Tip. But with Slum Village, it finally was in the limelight and the real JD was beckoning. Everybody started to have a recognition of Jay Dilla. That's just where things skyrocketed for him. You know, Yancey's workload increased and had a combination of greater professional demand and so much more artists to collaborate with him, you know? But what was dope is that, like, he still stood true to himself and he still stood true to his friends and he still stood true to Slum Village, you know, no matter how, how hot he was getting as a producer individually, he was still back with his bros and his friends in Detroit and showing them love showing them love and helping them out. He wanted to he wanted everybody to come up with him, you know what I mean? It was like he wanted to give back as well, even though he was getting so much. He was such an individualist, he was very selfless, and he was a very private man who didn't desire a lot of attention or even being a superstar, that wasn't his calling. So by the time in 2000 when, when Fantastic Volume 2 was released, he was largely a member of SB by name only, but still continued to produce for the group, like I said. He's, even though he was he was um, a big deal as an, as an individual producer, he still had that love for Slum Village and he still made sure to show it. But, you know, Jay Dilla, he was very humble and generous and always giving to others. He had a very different approach, especially within this industry. He had like this type of musical sincerity that attracted fans from everywhere and made him a legend among a lot of peers, a lot of his peers. He wasn't industrialized like others at the time. He made music from the heart rather than what was going to be the most trendy and what was going to get paid the most. After he had released that fantastic volume 2 album for Slum Village, he then went on to produce um, 10 songs on Common's gold-selling Like Water for Chocolate LP. He also contributed to Erica Badu's Platinum Mama's Gun, and this earned him two Grammy nominations for um, Common's Delight and Badu's Didn't You Know. So he had a lot of different credited work, a lot of credited work after that. Like as an individual, as an individual producer, JD was representing dude. Like everybody, everybody knew of him and everybody wanted to work with him. Everybody wanted to be like him. Like he was just that dude at that time. That following year in 2001, we saw the release of Yancey's solo debut album, Welcome to Detroit. And this is the first album that to be commissioned by and released on BBE Records, which also brought the song Fuck the Police, which became one of the most popular. So once at the peak of his career, you know, he started to tour Europe in uh, January in 2003 in support of Rough Draft, his other EP that he had released on MCA Records. And upon his return to the States, he actually got sick. Um, I believe that 
just the fact that he was just doing so much, he, w he wasn't taking care of himself. And he was running around everywhere. It kind of came back and bit him in the ass. And they went to the ER to check up on him to see what was up. And it turns out that he had TTP, which was a rare blood condition. Even after JD was diagnosed with that rare blood condition, he still was pursuing what he loved at all times, you know. He went on to collaborate with uh, Madlib and they created JLib that year in 2003. And also he went on to collaborate with some more with Common. And at that point, he moved to Los Angeles in 2004 from to Detroit to work with his longtime friend Common. And he created a lot of different things, like for example, the Blue Note, which was something that really touched home with him because like I said he was a very big jazz enthusiast and was very influenced by jazz as a child so 2004 was a pretty big year for him and so after that sadly um, his health just got worse and worse it, it didn't get any better and so his mom Ma Dukes she moved to LA in, in November of 2004 to be closer with her son and he just became really ill as the year came to a close he was eventually diagnosed with lupus, a condition wherein the body's immune system becomes hyperactive and attacks normal, healthy tissue. So his lupus led to kidney failure and repeated dialysis treatments and hospital visits. Yet Yancey wouldn't let his physical state keep him from reaching out to his fans. It was like, even though he knew how much pain he was going through, even though he knew he was about to die, he was happy because he had everything that he wanted. He had all the people that he cared about in his life, and he had the one thing that he loved the most in his life, which was music and producing. And that's what was a beautiful thing about Jay Dilla, is that even at the like last days of his life, he was still out there on tour, reaching out to the people and doing what he loved. It never stopped. So coming down to his last few weeks of his life, he did go on tour with his old friends, Frank and Dank. He went on tour with DJ Romantic. His mother even went on tour with him. And also he went on tour with um, his very good friend and confidant, Dave New York Tobin. But he wasn't even supposed to go on tour. Like these were his last dying days, you know, and he still did it. He was like, I'm gonna rock. I'm gonna rock this shit in a wheelchair. I don't care because this is what I love to do. And this is what I want to show the world. And I got mad love for JD. I got mad love and respect for this fool because of what he did and how he did that. And, you know, he spent his final months doing what he loved the most, creating music. And he released his Donuts LP, which was his third solo LP, on February 7th in 2006, before actually passing away three days later at the age of 32. Rest in peace, Jay Dilla. But he was a very talented man and a very humble guy, too. I feel like it's always the, the quiet people that you got to look out for, you know? The people who are just on the sidelines. Like, like, I love the fact that they call him the guy in the basement because that's what he always was doing. Like, I've watched so many documentaries about this guy and I've just done so much research about him and from all the artists, from all the people that he collaborated with, from all the acquaintance, acquaintances that he has had, it's been nothing but good vibes and just like positive feedback from them, from him as a person. They always just would talk about how he was always in his basement, always making music. He never left that place. But rest in peace, Jay Dilla. And, you know, it's just crazy because the people that from the past that have passed away, like, for example, Guru or Jay Dilla, just the people that have passed away, their legacy still lives on until this day. And if that is possible, then that just shows you how much of an impact they had on the industry and how much of an impact they had on music and what type of way they paid for everybody else. 
Jay Dilla was something else, dude. He was really dope. And if I could ever meet him, I would love to. Like, just sit down and talk with him. Not even talk with him. I would love to just sit in his basement and just watch him go at it. Look at his magic, you know? His, he, was, he was very talented. But Jay Dilla was an awesome dude. And if you haven't heard of him before, which I'm sure a lot of people haven't. That's why it's like, damn, best kept secret around. I genuinely can say that. But... Jay Dilla is really cool. Check out his donuts LP. That is one of the best and probably what he's best known for. Everybody knows Dilla as Dilla Donuts, you know. They even got like, they even have shops in LA that you can go and get donuts on his days, specifically on his death anniversary or his birthday. Like, so many different holidays. They always have Dilla days all around the world. They actually just had the first Dilla day in Los Angeles this year, but they have them in Detroit all the time. Um, Dilla, Dilla is very well known in Detroit. He's known as Dilla Troit, that's what they used to call him, but other than that, Dilla Donuts is one of my favorites. I would say Slum Village. Slum Village, they've, I've seen them before as well. They're really, really cool. They still perform to this day. Yeah, Slum Village, check out their fantastic, both fantastic albums, Volume 1 and Volume 2. Very, very good albums. But yeah, I just wanted to touch base with you guys on this awesome producer who you may not even know of, but he is like very credited for so much work that you probably listen to, you know? And it's it's just, it's funny to see somebody behind the scenes of the music industry in the production game who excelled in so many ways other than just producing. Not only was he a producer, but he was a writer, he was a rapper, and he was a friend. He, he was a, a really dope person, you know? So everybody, he was just a very well-rounded person and rest in peace to him. And I just feel that God blessed him with that talent for a reason to mark us on this world with it. And that's why his legacy still lives on to this day. And I feel that that's the reason why his life was also taken away just a little bit too soon. But everything happens for a reason. And like I said, rest in peace, JD. And if you guys haven't checked him out, please do after this podcast. Because it'll probably open up a lot more doors for you within hip-hop and a lot of different artists. But thank you guys for tuning in back to Beats, Farms, and Life. I really do appreciate it. And I hope that this is enlightening you guys in some way. If you guys have any type of feedback, hit me up on Facebook at facebook.com slash beats rhymes and life um hit me up on send me a voice message on podbean.com or leave a comment i would really appreciate the feedback and if you would like to learn about one of an an underground hip-hop artist or just a mainstream hip-hop artist and you would like me to speak on their behalf shoot a comment and i will most definitely take that into consideration but for next week's podcast i'm actually going to be talking about another producer he's also known for a lot of different things as well but i'm going to be talking about pete rock and cl smooth mainly more so on the behalf of pete rock but cl smooth was one of the people that he is has collaborated with and that's actually one of the people that he was well renowned with so pete rock and cl smooth stay tuned for next week i appreciate you guys much love peace this is your girl amanda wright beats rhymes in life don't forget it